At First Baptist Church, our mission is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with Him. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus Christ in such a way that you will have joyful news to go and tell. This morning we come to Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. If you'd find it on your listening sheet, we're going to read this aloud together. So find that and stand with me. This then is the text for today. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, was referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, we love biblical numbers. Biblical numbers are are part of of much of the life of the church, and you see it in much of the literature of the church. Spotting and speculating on biblical numbers is one of our favorite pastimes. It's fun, though often futile. And most of these numbers, they, they intrigue us and they draw us in. But, but one of the things is, is the most intriguing numbers are intriguing because of their mysteriousness. Right, a number like 666. You know, people will often cringe when they see that number 666. How many of you, like I have done in the past, will, when you see 666 on the odometer, you speed up <laughs> to get past that number? as if evil will go away when the dial rolls over. Or how many of you, when you have seen the number 666 in your bank account, you go buy something quickly so that that number goes away? We, we hear that and, and, and it gives us hesitation when, when we see that number because in the biblical text, the number 666 is associated with evil. When we come to Revelation 13, 18, that's where that comes from, and, and it's connected with the, the beast. It's, it's connected with, with the evil and the incomplete nature of this world. And our minds love to fantasize about those things. We love to, to hesitate when we come to those kinds of numbers. And in fact, fortunes have been made calculating and working on the number 666. Now, seven, on the other hand, that's the biblical number of completion, of perfection. Several of the kids said seven is their favorite number. That's a good biblical answer. It took seven days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. It took Solomon seven years to build the temple. 
Seven is one of those numbers that, that we like. It's restful. Three is an important number of the Bible. We see three show up a number of times. We see Jesus is in the tomb for three days. Forty is another one of those biblical numbers that we love. Israel wanders in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days as he begins his ministry. And one of the things that we love to do, and this, this is perfectly holy, and it's a great thing to do as we're working through the text. When we see these biblical numbers show up, we, we try to find where the connection is. Where's the connection between the 40 years in the wilderness and the 40 days in the wilderness? When these numbers show up, it's one of those things that cause our mind to perk up and make connections across the pages of Scripture. That's a good thing. And these are all important numbers that, that I hope you recognize along the way. But today's number, it's just as important, if not more important than those numbers that we've already mentioned, yet we rarely, if ever, talk about the number 430. You think in the church, I know at least for myself, I've often heard of seven or 40 or 666. But rarely have heard the number 430. As it comes, this number, 430, is the most important number for the Apostle Paul. 430, and, and as we come to in Galatians 3, this is the crux of his whole argument working through Galatians and Ephesians and Romans. 430 is where everything pivots in his argument to who we are in Jesus Christ. Salvation rests in this number of 430 and what 430 points to. Most Christians have no idea and we rarely talk about 430. When Paul would make the case, 430 is the number we need to be talking about the most. You know, I, I think that we like to talk about 666 more because that's seen as a future number. It's part of the mystery, right? There's still some unknown in that number. There's a hint of evil sprinkled in. We always love to hear those things. That number, 666, it's, it's tasty to people who love hot takes. But 430 is far more important to the shape of our lives than 666. 430 is the number of our salvation. Look with me at Galatians 3:17. So what I'm saying to you is this. And I just notice how he starts verse 17. He's saying he's coming back. This is my thesis. Right? This this is what this rests on. My legal argument against legalism is this. What I'm saying. The law which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify his promise. The promise of faith bringing righteousness came long before the law even existed. 430 years before the law came down from heaven onto Mount Sinai. But before Moses, and long before Moses, centuries, 430 years before Moses, 
this life and the shape of your life towards righteousness was of faith, not works, of grace, not law. Right? And this is a matter of, of primacy. It, it's a matter of what came first. And so when, when we think about grace and, and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, this is not a matter of the New Testament. This is a matter of the Old Testament. Scripture as a whole, long before the law, was faith in the work of our God. You know, sometimes when we talk about salvation by grace or when we talk about faith alone or when we talk about faith versus works, we think of it as something new instituted in the incarnational ministry of Jesus Christ, right, what we read in the Gospels. However, the, the argument that Paul is making here is that is not new. This is the way of God since the beginning. Since Genesis 1-1, the foundation of things was wrapped up in the faith of God's people, never has it been in their works or their effort. See, the grace of God was available to God's people from the beginning. Now, the law is good, and this is, as the Apostle Paul works through in Galatians, so why then the law? The law is good. Following the law is good, but keeping a stringent adherence to the law was never going to bring anyone salvation. Salvation came by faith first, 430 years prior to the law even being instituted. So the law isn't a contradiction. The law isn't something to be eradicated. The law has its place, but it's secondary. It's temporary, and it's always been that way. The law has always been secondary. The law has always been temporary. So then what 430 means is that you don't have to work your way to heaven. When you hear the number 430, that should be relief. 430 represents the burdens of this life being lifted off your shoulders and placed under the cross of Jesus Christ. 430, what it points us to is that when you have done something wrong, you don't have to slave away in contrition to try to make things right again. When you recognize your own failure in this life, there aren't a series of tasks that you have to complete and overcome to make sure you're okay with God again. See, our natural tendency is for us to think that for me to be near to God or, or for me to know the Spirit of God coming down upon my life is, is we think in our flesh, well, then I have to be really good. And, and if I can be really good and if I do enough good things, then I can see God and know God. That if I will work really hard at being a good person and when I finally get everything right, then... I will seek God. But that's nonsense. It's never what the scripture has taught. Scripture says 430. 430 means you don't have to work really hard at being good. 430 means you don't, you don't have to do lots of good things to try to get a shot at righteousness with God. 
430 means your righteousness has never depended on your effort or how many good deeds you have done. Because 430 years before the law, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. That it is belief in who God is and it's belief in the work God does. That is where righteousness is found. So 430 is this relief. It's not about my effort. It's not about my goodness. It's not about my work. It's not about me making up for anything. Jesus Christ did all of that. And and this, this was proven and worked out in God long before the law was ever given. Salvation is in faith like Abraham believed and was righteous. And so we can see and begin to see how our lives are dramatically shaped by this number, 430. And and I want you to see, though, that's that's kind of the surface. If if we will get in a little bit deeper, we see that that 430 represents something else. It, It represents that ultimately our lives are being shaped by a person. Now, 430 represents that initial promise to Abraham. But the promise to Abraham would not be fulfilled for thousands of years. And and so that when Abraham, or when the Old Testament talks about Abraham's descendants, there's only one. And this is the, the other part of Paul's argument in this text, is we often talk about Abraham's descendants as plural, descendants with an S. But this whole thing and the whole story of Scripture, the story of Abraham and the promise to Abraham, the story of the people of Israel through the working out of the Old Testament is only about one descendant singular. It's not about descendants plural. It's about one descendant singular, the descendant, Jesus Christ. See, the first two-thirds of Scripture that we call the Old Testament, they're the history of this setting of the stage for the single heir of Abraham. Every page of the Old Testament pointing forward to Jesus Christ himself. So I want you to to notice with me, there's a couple of verses as we work down through here that help mold you into the person that you are intended to be. First look with me at at Galatians 3.22. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise, and note this, by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so this is about those who believe in Jesus. So our side of things, is about believing in the work of Jesus Christ. So so note the difference here. It's not about your work. It's not about your effort. It's not about your accomplishments. It's that you believe in the work of Jesus' accomplishments. So keep moving down. Let's look at 26 similarly. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Faith in Christ Jesus. 27, for you all, baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourself now with Jesus Christ. You know, every day of this life, we expend a great amount of energy. And so, so much of life seems to be about this and, and how we expend the energy that we're given. We even notice if you consider the, the way your body works, even as you sleep, you, you burn about 500 calories. Then you get up 
and, and you start to do all the things that need to be done in the day and you expend another couple thousand calories in the day, right? And we, we spend way too much effort thinking through these kinds of things. All, all of our life, we're working through what we're to do. We've got to pick up around the house today. I've got to walk the dog. I have to get gas. I've got to go to the grocery store. There are things that need to be taken care of at work. And, and the day just fills up with all these things that you have to do that you don't have time to do. And, and this is what we default to in life, or the, all of these to-do lists that we have to do so that we can get right and, and have some sense of peace in our heart. And this is what we default to in, in religion. This is what we default to spiritually. But when we meet Jesus, it's something different. But so where our heart goes is, is we get restless when we don't have a list of things that we're supposed to accomplish today for Jesus. But, but our lives aren't shaped by what we do for Jesus. Our, our lives are shaped by what Jesus has done for us. I mean, we act like it's the, the opposite way around, that it's about our effort for Jesus when everything in scripture says Jesus has accomplished it all and everything that needs to be accomplished was accomplished at the cross. And so celebrate the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. See, everything in this life goes one way or the other. Everything in this life is, is either about your belief in your effort or your belief in Jesus's effort. Everything in life is about either what you accomplish or what Jesus has accomplished. And, and where are we going to stand? Are you going to stand on the work of your hands or are you going to stand on the work of the nail-scarred hands of Christ? Because that's your choice. And too many, even in the church, rely on their own effort and the work of their own hands and the work of their own feet when Jesus Christ has accomplished that which needs to be done. You see, when the text points to faith in Jesus, it's just saying, do you believe in his work instead of your own? To trust in his expended effort rather than what you've accomplished. So this life, it, it looks like what Jesus has already done. You're clothed with Jesus. You know, even with this line that we see that, that Paul uses here, often we, we go to the work side of things rather than the faith side. And we, when we hear clothe yourself with Christ, we start to imagine where are his burial clothes? What would it look like for me to go find that which he was wearing and put it on so I can wear the same garment that Jesus wore? But, but he's not, he's just clothe yourself with Christ. It's, it's not about wearing what Jesus wore but to be clothed with Jesus Christ himself, that you, you can know him and that he lives in you. And so I, I think it may be better for us to think of it in this way, rather than being clothed with Christ, to picture the, this Old Testament image of, of the potter and the clay. And being clothed with Christ is, is something akin to your life being reshaped and, and reformed into the work and by the work of Jesus. And, and so that, that you believe that Jesus is reshaping your lives so that you begin to see far more fruit of the Spirit than you've ever seen in your life. 
so that you no longer look like the historical you, but now there's more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, that, that these things start to show up in ways that they've never shown up before. This is evidence of the Spirit of God working in you. This is, this is clothed with Christ and walking in His ways instead of your own. That more and more your life looks like Jesus, the person. You begin to resemble Him like you might resemble a parent. You know, it's hard because most people still live their lives like they're, they're shaped instead by the law. Most people live their lives like, like, like it's shaped by effort that they can come up with in their selves. And when scripture talks about this law, you can hear a few different things. We, we know as, as Paul's working through Galatians, we are talking specifically about the Ten Commandments, the, the laws that we find in the Old Testament, and then, then how those were expressed. We get to the, the Pharisees' fence laws that Jesus was always uh, butting up against. And so, so it, it is all of those things that we, get, we begin to sense, but, but it's also those things represent human effort. And, and our ability to work towards saving ourselves. And too often, hum, humans believe that if we work hard enough, we'll be able to save ourselves. You know, so that if we want to be right with God, or if we're feeling a sense of guilt, we naturally try to find a way to work through it. We, we try to find ourselves something good to do to make up for our sense of guilt when in reality, there's nothing you can do to make up for it. There, there's nothing that you can do that will ever impress God. We, we think if, if we do enough ministry, if we do enough things that, that we'll be able to impress God by our actions and by our work and by our effort, then that God will look down and be so impressed with us that he will call us righteous. Now, I've got a little two-year-old at home, and, and almost two, and she loves to show off. And her most recent trick is my other daughters have this gymnastics bar in the house, and the little two-year-old goes up and grabs the bar and does this, and just looks up. And she comes down, and she's has a huge smile on her face, and she wants the whole house to applaud. And she wants all of us to say, yay, Juliet, you did it. And she just, and goes straight back. <laughs> and look it up. And, and I go, and I, I pat her on the back, and I said, baby, you did so good. Now, let me say this. This morning, she's over in the nursery, so she's not in the room. So between us, and we'll keep this just between us, when she does this, it's not that impressive. <laughs> I, I, t I tell her it is, but I gotta, I gotta say it's, it's pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> and I hope you hear me in a similar way. God is not impressed. He's not impressed with the stuff you have done. He's not impressed with the ministry that you've done this week. God's not gonna give you something extra because of something you did. God's not gonna finally forgive you for an indiscretion 
because you impressed him with a new trick. Working really hard at ministry or praying more this week than you did last week. Your effort is never going to fix what needs to be fixed in your life. Your, your efforts are, are never going to impress God and make him look and say, oh, he's righteous. She's righteous. And when we see the law here in this text, there, there's something specific he talks about in verses 24 and 25. He says the, the law is good, and, and there was a place for the law. He, he, he writes about a tutor for little ones. And I think it's probably more um, easily heard, if, if we think it in this way. It, it's more similar to a nanny. The, the law functions like an ancient Roman nanny. So in that world, the parents would have a, a, a nanny that would come and take care of their child to protect them from something like you know, two to 12, something like that. The nanny was always there, always present to, to slap them on the wrist when they reached up towards the stove. The nanny was always there to pull them away when, when they reached towards the socket with a set of keys to pull them away and say, don't do that. The nanny was there to walk them to school, to bring them home from school. The nanny was there to give instruction and say, this is what you need to do and this is what you don't need to do. There to protect them, to teach them, to keep the little ones in line. And Paul says, this is, this is how the law functions for us. The, the law is, is not the list of things to do so that you might be saved. In fact, it's just the opposite. The, the law is, is like the nanny slapping you on the wrist. The, the law, what the law reveals is all the places that you need to grow. What the law reveals is that you are imperfect. What the law reveals is not one of us is good, only God alone. The law reveals then our sinfulness and our inability to be that which we are supposed to be that we are failed and we are broken. And the law shines a light on that brokenness of our lives so that we might be healed by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. See, the law is in our lives not to save us, but just the opposite. The law reveals our weaknesses and the need of salvation. The law reveals how often we go astray, a sort of nanny over us that reveals how much we truly need Jesus in our lives. You see, the point and the hope is that neither the law nor any effort of our own would ever bring righteousness or salvation into our lives. If it was the law that saved us or if it was any human effort that shaped our lives, it would be broken, incomplete, ineffectual, because all the law does is, is reveal the cracks of our being, the brokenness in our hearts, the shadows of our minds. The law 